In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating God, who is Blessed Trinity. God's grace is greater than we can ask or imagine. We tend to focus on God's wrath at times, often in Lent, because we feel small and helpless, and because God is indeed against every kind of injustice and oppression. And those things can seem so rampant right now. But God's grace is greater than we can ask or imagine. Let that sit with you for a moment. And then we're going to look closer at an example given by our Old Testament and Epistle readings this morning. God's grace is greater than we can ask or imagine. So today we read about Abraham and the covenant made between God and Abraham when Israel was no more than a dream. And then in Romans, Paul further expounds upon uh, Abraham's faithfulness and trust without need for the law. And if you look at just these two passages that we've been given, you might be inclined to believe that Paul, to believe Paul, that Abraham was this great pillar of faith. But I don't know what story Paul was reading, because when I read Genesis, I certainly do not see a man who did not waver concerning the promise of God. At this point in our Old Testament reading, Abraham had already been told of the covenant twice. So this is the third time that he's hearing it. And he had already tried to fulfill it on his own twice. First by naming an enslaved boy his heir, then by forcing Hagar, whom he had enslaved, to have a child who would be Abraham's heir. And now, in our reading today, just after we read the bit we read about God giving Abraham and Sarah their new names, Abraham hears the covenant again and laughs and says, quite sarcastically in my ears, Oh, that Ishmael may live in your sight. Ishmael was his son by Hagar. Abraham and Sarah had still not had a child of their own. And I suppose this is the part that Paul never read, because Abraham utters this sarcastic exclamation after he considered himself and how old he was, and considered Sarah and how old she was, quite the opposite of how Paul narrated the story. God had to tell Abraham again that his heir would be a son born to him by Sarah. So far from never wavering in his faith that God would carry out God's promise to make of Abraham many nations through which all the world would be blessed, Abraham actively tried to help God out on more than one occasion and bring about the fruits of God's promise in the only ways that he knew how. And yet, there is one point on which Paul is not wrong. Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. We see this statement over and over again in the Bible, beginning in Genesis, even though the author knew that Abraham would try to fulfill the promises on his own. God's grace is bigger than we can ask or imagine.
God covenanted with Abraham three times because that was what Abraham needed to continue walking on the path that God had laid before him. God explained three times that the heir would be Abraham and Sarah's own son when Abraham tried to find an heir in any way he could. Now, if Abraham had been faithful from the beginning and waited on God, then the people around him would have been spared the suffering that Abraham inflicted upon them. The boy he enslaved, Eleazar of Damascus, would not have been promised an inheritance that he would never see. The woman he enslaved, Hagar, would not have been forced to have a child and suffer under Sarah's wrath and jealousy. Abraham acted in a way that was not of God, and people suffered for his lapse. And yet, God's grace is bigger than we can ask or imagine. We do not hear what happened to Eleazar, although we can be sure that God provided. God knows every sparrow that falls and treasures each of us above the sparrows. But we do know that Ishmael, Hagar's son, was blessed by God. This God who took to heart Abraham's sarcastic comment, who agreed with Abraham that Ishmael did in fact live in God's sight. God blessed Ishmael and made of him a mighty nation, just as he would bless and multiply Isaac. And God kept his promise to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah did have a son. God did keep the covenant with Abraham. God did not count the number of times that God had to explain the covenant to Abraham. God did not count the number of times that Abraham tried to fulfill the promise on his own with dire consequences for those who were involved. God merely cared for the people that Abraham had hurt and cared for Abraham as well. And so Abraham can be remembered as faithful despite the number of times he messed up and hurt others. That does not excuse the appalling way he did treat others. We must always be aware of how our actions affect others and be ready to make reparations just as God did with Ishmael. But reading the story of Abraham, how many times he failed and had to be reminded, and learning that even despite this wavering, God reckoned Abraham's faith as righteousness should make it abundantly clear that God's grace is bigger than we can ask or imagine. So what does that mean for us? To answer that, let's look at the Gospel reading. Jesus tells the disciples that as the Messiah, Jesus must undergo suffering and be killed. He also tells them that he will be resurrected in three days' time, but the disciples were so shocked They probably didn't even hear those words. Peter stands up and says what all of the disciples are thinking. Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus' reply is just as shocking. Get behind me, Satan. That probably felt like a punch in the gut to Peter. I can just imagine that all the breath went out of Peter and he just stood and stared at Jesus open-mouthed. 
Sometimes God's grace can come in the form of a rebuke. Jesus could not allow Peter's misunderstanding to derail his own purpose, to move him from the outpouring of grace and love, which would ultimately lead to Jesus' suffering and death. It was not that Jesus was simply suffering because the Messiah must suffer. Jesus was suffering because of the love and grace that he showed to others that was ultimately rejected by the powers of the world. But this was not the only time that Peter was in need of God's grace. Peter later denies Jesus three times when Jesus is on the brink of the death that he foretold in our passage today. At that moment, Peter cannot fathom following Jesus into the suffering and death that has been laid out before him. And so Peter denies him. And if we take the rest of the passage at face value, those who want to save their lives will lose them. Those who are ashamed of me, of them I will be ashamed. If we judge Peter based solely on these words, Peter would be judged lacking. Peter would be cut off. But we know that this is not the end of Peter's story. Jesus pulls Peter back into his embrace. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And in anguish over his own betrayal, Peter says, of course he loves him. God's grace is bigger than we can ask or imagine. The truth is that in order to love radically, we must be fully accepted by God's grace. And from that place of overflowing, pour out God's grace upon the world. It is much easier to merely be recipients of that grace. It would have been easier for Peter merely to receive the grace extended to him. But then it would have ceased to be grace. Each time Peter responds that he loves Jesus, Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. If we do not pour ourselves into the lives of others, then we have not fully understood God's grace and love. That God's grace is what enables us to love. In the Gospel passage, after Jesus had rebuked Peter, he tells the disciples that they are on the very same road that Jesus himself is on. To give grace as radically as God does is to love, and to love as completely as God does is to walk the path of suffering, because the world does not understand a love that asks for nothing in return. And a love which asks for nothing in return will ultimately overthrow the world which depends upon transaction. If everything is a gift, then there is no place for transaction. And if everything is a gift, then there is no place for us to hold back our lives. If we hold back the grace and love that have been given to us, we stagnate. Then we lose our lives. We lose the grace and love given to us because if life and grace and love do not flow, if we do not gift them from God to us, to others, then they are not life or grace or love at all. 
those aspects of our being cannot be hoarded to ourselves. They cannot be transacted, or they cease to be what they are altogether. Love which does not flow and grow greater is not love at all. But the good news is this. God's grace is still bigger than we can ask or imagine. We all, like Peter or Abraham, will, fault, will halt the flow, will mistrust God's promise in our lives. We will fail to love and care for those around us. We will demand to be loved in return if we are to give our love. We will do all of this. And sometimes our lack of faith will have terrible consequences, consequences which mar and hurt others. And we must right those wrongs every time we see them. But God's grace will always be bigger than the walls we construct around ourselves. God's grace will always heal. When we bring brokenness, God will always bring shalom, peace, wholeness, completeness. So when we find ourselves turned inward, proud of what we have accomplished in life and demanding of others who can't seem to get it together, let's ask for God's grace to flow. Grace multiplies grace. Love multiplies love. When we forgive, we also are forgiven. So give freely of the grace and love that God has given to us. Love others in their brokenness with the same eyes that God has turned on us in his infinite grace. Count Abraham, the one who doubted and tried to do it himself, as faithful. Because you see, in the end, Paul actually did get it right. In the eyes of God, Abraham never wavered. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.